You I know like that Queen. song, don't you? Yeah. I love Queen. Good. This is awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she did it. That was good. I wish the camera was recording. Well, this video is demonetized. <laughs> Hey, Marshall. Hey, Stan. Welcome back to San Diego. Great to be back here in San Diego for the Draftsman Podcast. I'm Marshall Vandruff, an art teacher and drawer. I'm Stan Prokopenko, founder of Proko.com, oh. where we teach people how to draw. Your ears okay over there, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And when that founder yeah. came out of my mouth, I was like, yep, Brandon's ears just died. Mm. Let's roll the intro. Yeah. Oh, it's always like the first time. What do you mean by that? I mean it's that watch the watching that intro is always like seeing it for the first time. Oh. Today's topic <laughs> uh, is gonna be about mm -hmm. it's kind of your thing. My thing? You're going to be leading today, Marshall. Am I? Absolutely. It's because we're going to talk about environment and... Well, you put this into our little show planning thing, and I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. Did I? About. What's the topic officially? You, it's environmental conditions. Environmental <laughs> conditions. Oh, yes, kind of, of course. Environmental reports. Where's the, T, the TSA report? Global warming. <laughs> Global warming. Did, no, the... We did talk about this once before. People. Because you're talking about building this environment so that you could focus on oh, things. Oh, ideal... I thought this was different. Well, this is different. This is the, oh, the ideal. The well, now we're talking about environmental conditions for, wasn't it for developing an artist, for, for developing a talent? So that sure. if, if you want I'm to. I'm not sure. You okay. start. Okay. And I will follow your lead. Okay, I'll, I'll start this. Because I, just a few weeks ago in a class, I had a student take me aside at the break to explain that his family not only wasn't supportive, they were anti-supportive. They wanted him to stop trying to be an artist. Now, within a matter of 10 hours previous, I had gotten an email on the same thing, and I also had another student in that class who is one of the best young promising artists I know who has had some family tension over you shouldn't do this, and I had to address it mm -hmm. to the class. How did you address it? I said, look, the better thing is if you've got a supportive family. So let's talk about let's talk about what's best. Yes. We're gonna get to that. Okay. But so get me, a new family? I, I need a few minutes on the supportive family thing. Okay. Okay. If you've got a supportive family that treats you, even in your adolescence and your college years, with the same kind of respect they treated your childhood, which is to let you give this a shot. That's great. I would not have been a professional illustrator if I had not lived in Gene and Eleanor's home until I was 26 years old because I got jobs, but I didn't get enough jobs to make my living. And so they supported me. I was the first person in the history of our family of amateur artists and musicians to ever say, I'm going to do this as a professional. And they were confused about it and there was a little tension about it, but there was never any discouragement. So I had a really good thing as I know you did, oh, too. Yeah. I lived with my parents until I was 28. Yeah. So I lose. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it, Mark. Yeah. You were 26, you said? Yeah, I, and I, I could not make a living as an illustrator till I was almost 28. That was where I started okay. to say, okay, hey, now I'm actually making my living as opposed yeah. to just getting jobs. So that's the ideal. But now let's move to the next point of thought here, which is that you can have support around you that is too supportive 
everything you do gets put on the refrigerator and praised. And you are not up against the real world where when you go out there, you are not going to get that kind of praise. You will simply not get hired because you've got nothing that you're pushing against. Yeah, there's no struggle. Right. So if you've got an unsupportive family, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to have the people trying to keep you from running your race by trying to hold you down. But let's take a moment to empathize with them. Nine out of 10, 99 out of 100, people who set out to be professional artists are not able to pull it off. And all they know is that if you're gonna set out to be an artist, you're gonna be just like this other person and this other person, all of these people that they know that you're gonna end up poor and they don't know that much about the industry and they don't know how it actually happens and so they've got a fear that you're gonna be the one that is dependent on everyone else for the rest of their life. So is it really 99%? It's certainly, well, when you look at art school, when you look at uh, people who have become art majors in universities, you figure they're devoting four years of this. It's not one out of 10 that actually make a living in the industry doing the thing they studied to do, really? do you but think? But there's so many jobs that are- There are so many arts? jobs. Like, how? I don't get it. Well, let me... Are we talking about all creative, like all jobs for artists, or are we talking about just like gallery painters and... I would make a graphic like this. Okay. There are 100,000 jobs or more in Southern California of people that are making their... Just in Southern California? Just in Southern California. Jesus. Of people that are making their living in the creative figure, just Los Angeles alone. Yeah, okay. It's going to be many, many thousands. Well, there used to be, it used to be there was something like 70 or 80,000 members of the Screen Actors Guild. Wow. And that's the members of it. Yeah. That's not the ones that are trying to be actors that are, can't, can't get into yeah. the guild. Okay. Uh, and then when you see the people that are trying to get those jobs, it's going to be in the millions. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, it's going to funnel down. Now I'm saying this not to make a point about uh, school or how hard it is, but I'm saying this to say that your family that is not supportive probably has a reason. One of my yeah. students, they want him to quit art and go into the military. And he told me, he, he wrote me a description of what happened in his family history that he had an uncle who was a an award-winning artist who burned all of his work, gave up art, and that the family has since discouraged. It's like in Coco, you know, no musicians yeah, in yeah, this yeah. family. That kind of phenomenon really does happen in life. So it's a, it's a struggle if you are the one who has got the budding gift and you've got an environment that is difficult. So now let me get my last point because I know I've, I've elaborated mm -hmm. a lot here. There is one caveat, one kind of advantage if you've got an unsupportive environment. Back in 1964, a book by Dr. Eric Byrne, a psychiatrist, came out called Games People Play. Transactional Analysis is an interesting book about how people play power games in relationships, and almost all of these games are negative. There was one game, two actually, that can have some positive effect. One of them is I'll Show Them. It's a, it's a bad game, but it's they, they didn't believe in me and I'm gonna punish them for it, but there's a more positive variation on them, which is that I am going to succeed because they didn't believe it. They said I couldn't do it. Lucy, Lucille Ball was told that she could not be, she did not have it to work as an actress and then she became the most successful. So you've got something that you can push against and then there's a more positive variation on it called they'll be glad they knew me. 
This is that I am going to succeed. They will wish that they treated me better, but I am going to succeed in spite of that. And so you've got this straight jacket you've got to struggle out of. very similar. They are very similar, but he, he figured the all shows them was more of a punishing thing. The they'll be glad they knew me will be at least that they get a caveat. That is our child, that is our nephew, that is our person, and they did succeed. And I'm, you know, I probably should have supported them more, but at least I get to bask in that success okay. after all. Now, I, I say that knowing that it, that is cold comfort, but it has happened. I've seen it happen with students who had a person in their life that didn't think they could do it, and they put their energy down like a bull and said, because they don't believe it, I have got to compensate for the fact that I don't have cheerleaders, yeah. I've got naysayers, and I have got to prove it on my own. Now, that's yeah. to say, you can have too much negativity that can drag you down. You can also have too much positivity. And if you just say, well, what have I got left if I got an unsupportive family? You've at least got that. If you've got a fighting spirit, you can say, I'm going to fight that spirit and I'm going to win. For the parents, though, listening, it's like even if you believe that it's kind of risky for your child to go into a certain field, do you really want to be the person telling them they shouldn't do it? Like, let them learn on their own. Like, be supportive no matter what it is. I mean, unless it's like criminal. You know, like <laughs> unless you're from a family of criminals, it like, yeah, be a yes, good but, criminal. But, yeah, but I mean, if, if, they're, if they have a passion for something and you, and you just disagree with it, that just just go with it like be supportive next to the last chapter of the sports psychology book you talked about how to be a great sport parent and uh -huh. it's really how to be a great parent and it's very short but it has a lot to do just with playing the role of emotional support because you're not the expert in the in the field my parents yeah. because they did not know the field i remember putting them through anxiety because my dad in particular he had built many houses and he did creative work and made his money with it, but Marshall's gonna set out to be a picture drawer. Yeah. And I remember there was an energy in him of, you know, and he wanted to help, he wanted to be supportive. It's just that he really didn't know how, and that's where you seek mentors. That's why you go yeah. to college. I think that's okay to be worried. I mean, that just means he loved you. Yeah. He, and he, he was worried that you were going on the wrong right. path. But he did he discourage you? No, not at all. But it, but I remember when I, I, I did an illustration that I got $300 for, and I remember he was pleased about that, but he wasn't elated. Yeah. And then I did a little technical illustration of a cutaway of a cord, of, of a little, uh, like a scuzzy kind of cord thing. And they paid me $750 for it. And I remember saying, you got paid $750 for that. And I said, yeah. And I remember his energy feeling relieved. $750 took you two or three days to do it. This could happen. I guess we were both lucky. We had great parents that supported us. Hey, well, if you if you don't have that in your family, there's one thing yeah, you can do. do, do? You can find a new family. You can find a new Come on. team of support. Oh, not, not you don't literally mean find a new family. Find you a new metaphoric friends family. And, okay, I gotcha. Yeah. And that yeah. means plugging into a, a positive community, which yeah. is the second thing I deal with environment, is that environment can have to do with whether you live next to the toxic dump, and it can have to do whether you live in a place where there's never any sunshine, and all these other things can affect your productivity and your mood. Mm -hmm. But by far, the most important thing is the people that you are surrounded by. It is better to be in a not that great physical environment if you've got good community going than to be in a great physical environment where your team members work against you and, and all of the other things that can go wrong.
that's worth seeking. Yeah, where can they find that? Some of my best students have been the ones that they say, I'm into this, and they create these little communities. I've had that happen in wave after wave after wave after wave over the last three What do you mean they, they create the community? They create community by becoming friends, by hanging out, by doing artwork outside. When the, when the semester's over, now they're going to work on their summer project. I've seen that happen many times, more times than I could even recount. So that's an example of going to the cheapest school possible, mm -hmm. but finding the teachers who will serve you, they've got several teachers who serve them, and then finding the peers that will make them stronger and encourage them. And so, yeah, that's what that's about. That's seeking a new family. And if you figure, if my parents will just for 200 bucks a month, let me have a room to sleep in, I will yeah. spend all of my time in these classrooms and around these people that are making me better. That reminds me of a statistic that I found out about. I wanted to make a video about it, but I don't, I'm not sure if I will. And we were looking at Google Trends for mm -hmm. searches mm -hmm. of how to draw, the search how to draw. Mm -hmm. And in June, it plummets for like two or three months for the summer break. And then it goes back up when people go back to school. The search how to draw. That is not a good thing. No. That just means that everyone's searching how to draw while they're in school and they go on summer break and they stop drawing. School can, some of these environments can burn people out to where they never, they'll never be an artist now because they're so, they associate it so much with negative feelings. And hmm. to me that happens when everything gets organized around midterms and finals and I've had students, we've had to, I had a student uh, where we had to call in the paramedics what? from having been up for two or three days on Red Bull and to to do it like finish a project yeah or to finish to to meet the final deadline oh, and and so <laughs> what are we doing what what is the point of this that's not a healthy thing well why why did they have to was it was a deadline really strict or like what did they procrastinate or they take what? eighteen units oh. and then they've got to get it done and then when it's done flop over in exhaustion and spend the summer not doing anything but recovering uh, from what they happened burn out. in school. Yeah, it's just, I. it's really a bad thing. Well, do you think that's the case for just a few people or that's the trend for most of the most people? It depends on the environment. There are some environments that that's the norm. And then there are environments where we did these projects for school, we're done with them. Now, June's here. I don't want to take a vacation. My vacation is going to be this next project that I couldn't yeah. wait to get that one done. And that's how Norman Rockwell felt about every illustration he did. That The next one is going to be the best one. Drew Struzan was asked about his illustrations. He said, my favorite one is the next one that I'm going to do. Because they've got this enthusiasm for the work. And if that is characteristic of that social environment, I yeah. think that's probably a healthy environment for your creativity. You mentioned something about modern day James. Modern day James, right. well, he can tell is his he, own story, but he came into my classroom and told the story. He oh, was going to be a he doctor. Was your, he's one of your students? Uh, well, no, he's not one no. of my students. Well, or know. he came in as a, like a guest. He came to in talk as a about? guest. After he was already YouTube famous? Yes. After okay. he was, and and okay. students had told me about modern day James, and they were in love with This was at the, the, the junior college. Said, do you know about modern day James? So we started to watch modern day James stuff in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And then I, when he came out here, I said, let's have you be in the classroom and I'll uh, ask students that's what, what, what would you story. want to ask him so we, I called up his cell phone you know and he's going to answer they didn't they saw him and they didn't even know who he was because yeah. you don't recognize sometimes a person from what you know him on well on it's YouTube. mostly he mostly you just hear his voice in his video that's right so. yeah 
So he was sitting in the back of the classroom. He was sitting in the back of the classroom. And then you're like, hey, I'm going to call him up. And I called him up. Unfortunately, the gag didn't work because what? the cell service didn't Oh, his phone in. didn't ring. So he did come <laughs> up to the front of the class. And, and yes. we kind of co-taught the class that evening. And he told us his story. He was going to be a doctor. He was going to, uh, I think he even might have started medical school. Oh, really? He, his parents, yeah, he made a pitch to his parents. He made a, a business proposition, essentially, to his parents that they would give him a certain amount of time to prove himself. And because he created his own deadline for when he would get his YouTube channel together and that kind of thing, he went into overdrive and treated this as if it were medical school, uh -huh. disciplined himself, didn't waste any time, and now... He's modern day James. Wait, what was the business proposition he gave his parents? That you'll let okay, me so live at home for a certain amount of time until I can see if I can get my YouTube channel going. Okay. And so his parents were not supportive. They were forcing him to be a doctor. No, no, no. They were, they were. He, so why he, did he have to make a proposition? He changed his mind because instead of going to medical school, I mean, every, every parent wants their kid to yeah. do something like that. I want to start a, I want to be a, an internet teacher and an artist. Uh, yeah, and so he pitched to them that he thinks he can do this. Yeah, but I'm telling his story, and I'm probably getting it all wrong. <laughs> James, let's just, if you were let's willing, just tell the best possible story. Yeah, that's the best what I can do. What do you wish the story was like? <laughs> what we should do is next time we're gonna open up our phone and get him on the speakerphone and say, "Marshall, you got it all wrong." Yeah, but I still forgive you, and then he can clarify okay. it. He can comment as well. Yeah, James, but if you're listening, James was a tell guy us who a story was, in the comments. He was being proactive. By saying this is unusual to ask for my parents to support me for a while to do this. It's not that unusual. We both did that. Uh, I mean, we didn't make a business proposition, right, but we right. both, as adults, had our parents supporting us. To make an ultimatum, to make a bet with them, I think I can do this in two years or three years or four years. And if I don't, how about if I, I pay you back this much? Oh, it, wait. Is this, are you making no, that No, part I'm up? making this up. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm speculating that that could be a proactive way to do it. I mean, some yeah. parents are going to say, no, don't do that. I just want you to go to medical school. It's also the, the pressure that we were talking about a few episodes ago where if you've, you know, you got that the on and off periods where sometimes you just don't do it and you're a little lazy and you need that pressure to get it done. Yes. This is a great way to do it. That is pressure to get it done. What else would you like to add? I'd like to move on to our question. Really? So we're done? So let's, yeah, let's do the let's ad take an and ad go break. into the second half. Oh, we don't, you're not playing the ad for us? <laughs> oh, oh, no. Crest. Brush long, your teeth. How long was that? What the fuck, man? You that's, brush your own teeth. That, that's, that's the ad. The ad is crest. Nine out of ten <laughs> Yeah, nine out of ten. That reminds me. My, oh. Cooper loves brushing his teeth. And he's <laughs> not, even, even, not even two. Yeah. And he does it himself? He wants to do it himself, and I keep trying to do it for him. <laughs> You giving him Not that bubblegum stuff? What I'll do is I'll brush it for like 15 seconds, try to like really get in there and yeah. just do it correctly, and then I'll I'll let him yeah. sit there and like chew on it for, <laughs> know, for two more it's minutes. I I remember teaching my son to brush his teeth, and it was about the age of two. Yeah. And I remember now you're gonna do this. We're gonna see if we can do this on your own, and you're gonna okay. squeeze the toothpaste tube and just the whole. You didn't thing. start brushing his teeth till he was around two. Or I was I was brushing his to... teeth for him. 
until right. he was about two, and now we're going to yeah. do it. But the first thing he did was took the toothpaste tube and squeezed it all out, and he didn't know any better. Yeah. I said, okay, you know, <laughs> see, we're going to have to replace that whole toothpaste tube. It was, it was hard to be patient. But it was, it <laughs> yeah. was amusing, though, to mm. see what a huge job it is to teach a two-year-old, a not-quite-two-year-old, how to brush their teeth. And I remember the thing that went through my mind is that animals raising baby birds... Birds have something called instinct. Humans don't seem to have this. You have to teach these creatures everything. And if it's this much energy to teach a small creature how to brush his teeth, then all the other things, tying shoes and all, there's a lot of work ahead. Yeah. But at least it's fun. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe my kid's smarter than yours. Yeah. <laughs> he seems to pick things up without me having to teach him. <laughs> how old is your son now? He's 28. He won't be. And he can brush his own teeth, or so (laughs) he's been telling me. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do we have a. Do we have a question? Yeah. All right. So from Jared. Hey, Stan. My name is Jared. Uh, I'm currently a student in college studying drawing and animation. My dream is to work for Disney Animation Studios. So my question is, what kind of variety of drawings should I be adding to my portfolio now in order to get the best career after school? Thanks. Um, this is funny how this works out. We're talking about portfolios next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to dedicate por- the next episode to portfolios, but we should kind of do a little teaser. I'm happy to. This is something yeah. that uh, I mean. Aaron Blaze is the yeah. That's actually what I was going to say. Yeah. I just interviewed Aaron Blaze, and one of the questions in that interview was, "What kind of portfolio should animators have?" Mm-hmm. And he answered that question. So go watch my interview with Aaron Blaze. It's yes. already out. I have, I've got it queued up, and I started to watch it, and I have not had a chance to finish it. But he yeah, he'd be one of the first people yeah to go to. Um, he says basically what he would like to see is. If you're going for an anim- animator position, don't submit bouncing balls and all the stuff that they teach you at school. Don't submit your homework. Submit actual projects that you did on your own, showing that you could uh, tell a story through body language. Show them that you're a good actor. You can bring life to a character. Don't show them that you know follow through and anticipation. Like These things could be learned in, in, in a few months. Mm-hmm. Show them that you re- you got what they actually need, which is telling a story, bringing characters to life. Mm-hmm. Ralph Bakshi, uh, years ago, was asked about how do you get a career as an animator, and he said, do an animation. Do some animations. Show people what you can do. And yeah. that in his time, it was almost impossible to do that. You had to get a couple hundred thousand dollars to fund it. Now you can do it on your laptop. Now you can do it with, with tools that are readily available. And I think he said that around 2009, 2010 to a group of animators. But there's the first thing is learn to animate and then prove that you can animate by doing some pieces and then seek work. And if you're seeking to do this at the level of Disney, well, it wouldn't hurt to know Disney's animation history and to read Frank and Ollie's book, The Illusion of Life. And there's just so many resources. You can live in the commentaries on the DVDs and the extras and the history of it and all of that other stuff Mm. to learn about what the evolution of Disney Studios was, which is interesting in its own right. For full animation, if you you may know who Stephen Kyoto is. Stephen Kyoto and his brothers were 
have been one of the most respected stop motion animation studios in Hollywood. There, he's he's the guy who animated Large Marge in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Do you know what I'm talking about? The truck driver. I know Pee Wee. Truck driver woman that turned into a monster was an amazing moment in film. And when they finally pulled the driver's body from the twisted, burning wreck, it looked like this. (laughs) He animated that. He animated the narwhal in Elf that says, uh, that wishes him the best. And Stephen Kyoto and his brothers wrote and animated and did. They made a film called Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which has a cult following. I have not yet seen it. I've seen it. But I know people really, really care about this thing. Uh, He has come to speak to my students, and he talked about how he was thinking of doing a stop-motion animation course, but he said that Richard Williams' animation course essentially teaches everything you need, except you just apply it to stop-motion instead of to hand-drawn animation. And I've watched that Richard Williams course seven, six or seven times with students. I think it's a great course. I'm not even an animator, but he teaches you, he talks about the sophisticated use of the basics and that you just learn the basics of animation. And then all the greatest animation is essentially just taking those basics and evolving them into whatever else you're going to do. And he covers most of it, almost all of it in that Richard Williams Animator Survival Kit Animated. So it's the video version of it in, as opposed to the book. But that's that's not about having a career. Yeah, I mean, he's asking about a portfolio. That's that's putting what, together to your put skills. In a portfolio. But I want to say, you're asking about what drawings to put in a portfolio. Um, I guess that's if you're trying to get into 2D animation. Make sure your portfolio is very, very specific for the job you're applying for. You know, if you're applying for to work for Cartoon Network, don't show them... A bunch of 3D stuff that you work and make sure you sh- you can show them that you can design characters you can animate in that style just make sure that you're you know what they're actually looking for make it easy for them to choose you in your portfolio that's going to be the whole thing that the portfolio thing is about next week yeah oh, look, okay. make, it, make it easy to choose you is that okay. you understand what it, you're connecting oh, the cool. client and the talent I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that next week yeah <laughs> Cody Shank is an example in my life. Uh Cody was in my perspective class in 2014, I think it was. And then that online school ended. But every time I would come into the online perspective class, he would be there early and he would have caricatures of 1960s TV show characters. Mm. And I thought, this guy knows... actors, right? Caricatures of yeah, humans? caricatures of actors okay. uh, from Hogan's Heroes and things like that. He was born in the 1990s, so this is stuff 30 years before his time. But I recognized all this stuff, and so when the school ended, and I kept in touch with him, I even met with his parents on Skype and talked with him about doing an internship. He had this love of retro work from the 50s and 60s, which included Jay Ward Productions, Rocky and Bullwinkle and that kind of thing, which I like that style of animating. And I proposed to them that if he were to intern with me, that he would work on an animation. And so he did that. We worked. Are you talking about the Proco? Yeah, that was the thing for you. It hasn't been released yet. It hasn't been released yet. It's for the perspective course. Yeah, so we can always cut this out. It's going to come out in 2037. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) We can always cut this out if if, if it's not appropriate. No, it's going in. But But there is a very, very good animation that's ready to be published 
when the perspective chorus comes out yes. that Cody Shank made. I love that cartoon. I, I, and, and he had not, he was not an animator before. He took one of the online class, one or two of the online classes in animating. And I, in, before we did this, before we did this internship, I sat down with Dave Pruxma. Dave Pruxma is one of the great Disney animators. He, we taught at the same school. He animated Mrs. Potts, you know, Angela Lansbury's character, and lots of other Disney stuff. And I said, look, I've got a guy who wants to get good at limited animation. He's going to do an internship where it's going to be like that Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff. I said, what, what are you, any thoughts about this? He said, the first thing he should do is learn to animate. And that means learn the stuff that the Disney animators and others were developing so much in the 1930s. Right. Learn the fundamentals. Yes. But the portfolio doesn't show that you you don't have to show your fundamental studies. Yes. Okay, but but let me let me let me carry through right? with this. He okay. said that the great limited animation in television at the time, this would include Hanna-Barbera stuff, it's not full feature animation. They couldn't do full feature animation because they didn't have the time to work on something for 2 years. They got to crank these things out every week. But he said those animators who came from feature animation, doing stuff for Warner Brothers and MGM and and Disney, they were good animators. So then when they go to TV and they got to cut corners and make it simpler, they know what they're doing as animators and they just find inventive ways to do it simpler. So I told Cody about this and he understood, but we figured let's do a little bit of a shortcut, watch a lot of these Rocky and Bullwinkle fractured fairy tales and these kinds of things that they do. And Cody did that and did it and did it until he wired the style of that kind of drawing and then, bit at a time, we worked for almost three years uh, by way of Skype. I've never even met Cody in person. Yeah, yet. me either. But we, we worked on, on it bit, bit at a time, storyboarding it out, getting the, the voices in there, and then he pulled it off. And the result of this is that without the world knowing who he is yet, you started hiring him as an animator, and doesn't yeah. he do, I mean, he does most of your 2D animation Yeah, now. and then anatomy courses. I think halfway through, we... we Start replacing some of the Skelly stuff with more 2D animation, and he's yeah. the one that does all that. Yeah. But I admire Cody just because he's been a joy to work with, and he's a hard worker, and he's talented, and he liked that style. So you find somebody who says, I love the 1960s style. Okay, that doesn't mean we're going to be pulling you away from doing this. We're going to find a way to co-travel. And that is a little microcosm of the way many a story is told, that you, you learn how to do it, you do it, you show people, you got to get good enough to do it regularly. That's one of the things that can be a problem. If you take three years to do an animation and then somebody hires you to do it and you've got to get it done in a month or two, you've got a problem. So doing the slow motion thing to learn how to do it, then doing another one, then doing another one and they say, now I'm ready to start meeting deadlines instead of just pulling it off. Oh, yeah. I guess you're saying if you're going to be applying for a job, make sure you're actually ready to apply. Don't just right. put to, try to put together a strong portfolio. Yeah. In the industry, there used to be a nickname, and I won't mention the name of the school, but other people have uh, publicly, that they called it the, the name of that school problem, which is that you spend a year doing an illustration that is so awesome, and then nobody can hire you to do that illustration because you need one year to do it. <laughs> yeah. So you never learn to be a professional by doing it on deadline, but it's okay to spend a year or more doing an animation if that's where you're learning the craft. Marshall, yeah? what's, what's your thing? Uh, I'm gonna tell you what my thing has been. I have been living in a, another documentary. This I've only watched this once. 
It's called The West. It's produced by Ken Burns and directed by Stephen Ives. And it came out in 1996. In 1989, he came out with one called The Civil War. But I didn't have television. I never saw these things on television. And I had no interest in the Civil War when I was in high school when they tried to teach it to us. But everybody says, you've got to see the Civil War. You've got to see it. So I watched it on VHS, and it was so moving and so powerful. So I knew that the West would be good, but I never saw it until just this last month. And it is so moving and powerful. And to a person, there's, there, there's like a total of 12 hours over eight or nine episodes. But it puts you into that framework of where you look at what happened on this continent 200 years ago to about 100 years ago, and there is so much horror and glory, and it's not one of those things where you can watch it casually. These are going to be an hour and a half where you're going to be put into looking. It's tons of photographs because the Civil War was documented and the Old West was documented, and so you're going to look into the faces of people who've been long dead, and you're going to hear their stories, and I think uh, it's, it'll be interesting to anyone, but to anyone who lives on this continent, or if you've driven across this continent, which I have a couple times and all other large portions of it, you will see the land differently. It'll be connected to stories. So I recommend it, but not as casual viewing. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. And you will certainly be emotionally moved. And it's narrated by Peter Coyote, who has a voice that sounds very distinctly American, a bit like the classic you American love sound that have a great of voice narrator. Henry Fonda, but with a hippie twist. Uh, yeah, Henry, uh, Peter Coyote's uh, narration alone is just is every be interesting single just to thing you to bring it. up that's like a, a movie, yeah, or an audiobook. You love it because of the voice. There are and and there's a and guy it's got named a great voice. There's a guy named like this. <laughs> there's a Native American named Nomade. I think his name is N. Scott Nomade, who has a beautiful resonant voice. And yeah, they're they're interesting people that they interview. So there's a it's a lot of color photography of interviews with people who are talking about this historians and that kind of thing, juxtaposed with some of the most intense faces of Native American kids in front of the camera. I don't know that they knew exactly what was going on in, with that camera, but they look into the camera and just, it, it brings alive the stories of actual people. The story of the railroad happening and all the stuff that went on with that. The introduction of the horse to this continent and how that changed Native Americans' lives. Mm. Some of the things you've heard about, like the Trail of Tears and, and the Wounded Knee Massacre. You, they, and they show photographs of this stuff, too. So it's, it should be rated R in some ways for some of the things that get in front of the camera from these old photographs. But I, I was prompted to watch it because of seeing Buster Scruggs. And Buster Scruggs with stories about the West. Uh -huh. So it's like, okay, now let's take away from the, uh, the movie version of the West to go to something that's about the real thing. That has been my thing. It's on my mind every day. Okay. I guess my thing this week is building my dream studio. I can see why. Yeah. This is great. One to two years ago, I brainstormed, like, what would I put in my dream studio if I could build a dream studio? And now I'm, I'm like, trying to, you know, doing it. And you're happy with it? Well, I haven't, I, it's not done yet. But you're, are you happy with how it's going so far? Oh, yeah. Well, we got this set this here. Is a, this, is a, this is a podcast set. That's a, that's a great thing. Do you have uh, aspirations to, at some point, actually build your dream studio from oh, a like plot of land itself. and yes where you do the design of the layout i don't think so it was more about 
having a box and then putting stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Like the the yeah, I don't care if I build the actual building. Yeah. It's the stuff in it. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. Yeah. And it's making this podcast happen. This is not happening outdoors in an alley. It's true. Yeah. Tall ceilings, yeah. building artificial giant skylight. You going to do a stop motion animation studio in here? I don't do animation anymore. Okay. I got Cody. That's right. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Wow, this was a really lousy what's your thing. What? <laughs> my dream studio? Come on, Marshall. I, I brought up my shoes in the first episode. <laughs> I had headphones. I love my your dream, dream studio. studio. I love your Is dream it good studio. enough for you? It's wonderful. I am so privileged to be a part of it. Thank you guys for joining us in the Draftsman Podcast. Yes. My name is Sam Rupenko. This is Marshall Vandruff. That's true. What, how many stars do they need to leave us on iTunes? Uh, leave us the amount of stars that you think that this is worth. And how many stars and if, is that? if it's five, five I'm not going to complain. Answer. Thanks. <laughs> and, and leave a comment on YouTube. If you have had an unsupportive environment and you have overcome it, give us the story. Tell us, uh, tell us anything that you think. What would you say to a person who says, look, I think I've got talent. But I do not have a supportive environment. What brief advice could you give them? And what, what would you put in your dream studio? What would I put in my dream studio? No, I'm asking the audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't care about you. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but actually, I do. But I think the time's up. But I actually really do. Maybe we should. I want to know what your dream studio is. But I, we'll, we'll bring up my dream studio another time. If you want to hear what Marshall's dream studio is, join us in a future episode. Yeah. See that? Yeah. What are those called? Teasers. Teasers. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. When like Lost was a master at that, where it's like a oh mystery box. What? No. Lost. Yeah. Yeah, Lost, but when cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. We just left it on a cliffhanger. Yeah. What is Marshall's dream studio? Oh, let me tell you about my dream studio. <laughs>